Welcome, everyone. My name is Peter Hackett. I am the Global Program Director for Cypher. For today's podcast, we are going to discuss how to best manage cyber risks. I am joined by my colleague, Scott Krosky, the Global Chief Information Security Officer for Cypher. And we are also pleased to have us, Clive Bunzair, who's the Director of Governance, Risk, and Compliance Services. Clive also serves as Cypher's Data Protection Officer. He joins us today from our London office. Clive, how are you? I'm very well, thanks for asking. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you with us today, Clive. Information security regulations and standards have been around for decades, especially in certain industries. And for some businesses, there are compliance standards that must be followed in order to stay in business. Examples include, but are not limited to, PCI DSS, GDPR, FFIEC, SOX, HIPAA, etc. Cypher has been providing our clients with comprehensive recommendations to meet these regulatory and compliance requirements, helping to make the entire process more efficient. That's correct, Pete. In addition to compliance requirements, we find our clients looking to align their risk management programs to a framework. Uh, So there are various risk management frameworks available today to include the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which is abbreviated NIST, uh, and the the NIST Cybersecurity Framework. But there are other security standards and best practices uh, free and available on the internet to include the Center for Internet Security Top 20, uh, formerly the SANS Top 20. Uh, We also see the advanced technological guidance in the form of MITRE ATT&CK, which is a globally accessible knowledge base of adversary tactics and techniques based on real-world observations. Uh, This knowledge base can be used as a foundation for the development of specific threat models and methodologies in the private sector, government, and in the cybersecurity product and service community. So, you know, companies can use CIS and MITRE ATT&CK to design specifics of their security program. And, you know, we can talk forever about technical specifications that should and shouldn't be followed by companies. But the reality of the situation is that every company is different and has their own risk appetite. So herein lies the true benefits of a GRC consulting service. And Clive has definitely been working in this field for well over 20 years. With that, let's dive into this topic. Clive, as a director of GRC services for Cypher, what are your job responsibilities? With specificity to the UK, um, I oversee and manage a delivery of all of our services and solutions with regard to risk management, uh, compliance, uh, and also uh, various other consulting engagements from a security perspective. And we hear a lot about risk management. What exactly is risk management and how does it compare to or differ from issue management? Risk management is the, is the management of the unknown. Uh, it's, it's based on the understanding of your threat landscape appropriate to your business. It also understands your, your uh, vulnerabilities, uh, takes into account your vulnerabilities, and then ultimately uh, measures that against your exposure and, and really allows you to have a more qualitative feel about what risks you face as an organization. Uh, specifically for us, uh, we would look at technology risk, uh, and trying to align that with the business, whereas issue management, this is this is this is incident management really, and this is after the fact. So, so I would always, in 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 lay terms, try and break that down to a risk is something you you can smell, and an issue is you're already standing in it. Clive, we hear a lot about companies that want to be compliant with a certain regulation, such as HIPAA. Uh, other companies truly want to min- uh, manage their risk. So, in in your experience, what is the difference between compliance and risk management? Compliance is, compliance is always going to be enforced and or mandatory through some other governing body. And compliance will always be, as a result, uh, either assessed or audited as a snapshot in time. Um, so I think that, you know, from that perspective, it'll always give you a very good view of the organization in a certain point in time. 
from a risk management perspective, well, risk management is organic. You know, it, 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 if, if well-defined and, and handled well and managed well, risk management truly serves the greater purpose in the sense that it allows you to understand how threats and vulnerabilities could potentially be, you know, how threats could potentially exploit the vulnerabilities within your organization, the level of impact that that could potentially have to you as an organization, and truly adopting a good risk management framework, uh, you know, creating your own homegrown risk management framework from various other businesses practice and standards i think that really empowers the organization to make educated choices in terms of security expenditure whereas compliance is always going to push you into a corner to make some sort of change in order to meet that compliance checkbox um, you know whether one is good or one is bad that's that's not really the issue because they've they've both got to be done this is why compliance frameworks exist However, risk management truly benefits the organization in what we call the return on investment way. Clive, Cypher offers ISO 27001 certification services as well as NIST cybersecurity assessments. What exactly is the difference between ISO 27001 and the NIST cybersecurity framework? Well, the NIST um, control security framework, uh, you know, maps extremely well to ISO 27001 when establishing information security best practice. But truly what it boils down to is that MIS NIST is more security control driven. So it's, it's absolutely at a technological level, security control driven, um, you know, and, uh, and uh, ISO 27001 on the other hand is, is less technical and more focused uh, on organizations uh, and, and their risk. So, so, you know, an inf a well-defined information security management system, um, you know, that can be applied to organizations of all shapes and sizes, whereas, whereas NIST, you know, is, is, I think, from a maturity perspective, a lot more um, stringent. Um, and it's, it's, it's what I usually call, um, you know, if adopted by smaller organizations, the sledgehammer to crack a walnut. Um, but again, it could be very appropriate to you as an organization. But the real difference is one is more, technical or security control driven the other one is less technical and and more risk focused so why would an organization choose to pursue an iso 27001 certification in many cases it's it's good it's good marketing i'll be honest with you it's uh, nothing says we do security well than having an iso 27001 certification putting that on your website uh, etc. But also, uh, in many other, you know, in most cases, and I won't discount that either, is uh, a lot of organizations will choose to pursue ISO 27001 certification uh, because ISO 27001 as a, as a security framework will suit their organization model quite well. Um, you know, and it's it's an industry recognized standard. You know, there's uh, just from from all over the world, ISO 27001 is, is not a foreign term in most countries. Um, and as a result, that tends to be uh, one of the leading industry standards uh, that are pursued by most organizations when trying to either address security risk and or demonstrate, um, you know, that they take security seriously. And then why would an organization choose to pursue a NIST cybersecurity framework assessment? The uh, NIST cybersecurity framework, as I said earlier, it's, a, it's, it's very much uh, security control driven. And really, this is to understand um, the, the 
the technology risk, you know, uh, within the organization. And, um, and this really aims to address that in a technological way. And in many cases, you can use tools and or um, other type of solutions to 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 meet, um, you know, your obligations in terms of uh, in terms of NIST. There's no certification, but what it does deliver is a, is in a maturity assessment. You know, it, it gives you an idea of where you are in terms of current mode of operations. Uh, when when done correctly, um, it will highlight the gaps uh, and or uh, vulnerabilities that have been identified throughout the assessment, and and ultimately. Um, you know, if again, if done properly, will provide you with what we call a target operating model in terms of maturity. And it does take into account people and culture and everything else. You know, so it is holistic in its approach. Um, it, it is not purely technical. Um, and, and, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, also one of my favorite uh, um, frameworks uh, to, to work with. Absolutely. How has Cypher helped organizations establish and create a risk, mag risk framework that suits their risk appetite? We work closely with the business. Um, you know, business acumen is at the forefront of every consultant's, uh, uh, you know, the way they manage projects and the way they manage interactions with clients. So really it's about understanding the business. And once you understand the business and, and uh, you help the organization potentially understand the, uh, the risks, uh, and or and or threats that that could potentially uh, you know exploit the vulnerabilities that exist within the organization and what that truly means for the organization as opposed to what that could mean for any other well publicized media organization um, really um, helping organizations establish that is 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 uh, business driven um, we we work closely to align security with the business. We, we, we help to demonstrate the return on investment in terms of where they spend security uh, funding. And, and this is it because, you know, security will always be seen as an expense. It will never be seen as a value, not until you can translate what you're doing for the organization in terms they understand. And the organization, when it comes to board and executive level meetings, will always understand the bottom dollar. So, it's a, so I say our true expertise and how we help organizations establish and truly make this work for them is by understanding the threat landscape, understanding what they can tolerate in terms of risk, you know, explaining what that means to them as a business in real terms, uh, so not jargon, uh, and ultimately being able to translate that where it really counts. And that is a board and level, you know, board and executive level meetings to, to, to gain that continued buy-in uh, and to gain that continued uh, funding uh, to, to continue to improve. Clive, you, you touched on uh, a little bit in your, your last uh, answer there, but you know, the analysis of threats is a cornerstone to developing a company's security program. So you know, how exactly do you analyze risks against threats and how is that incorporated into risk management uh, that is tailored to a company? Okay, so um, uh, many organizations will use a, a simple formulaic approach. Um, I, I say simple, it's, it's effectively, it is uh, threat, vulnerability, uh, time exposure, etc. Uh, or however, ones that, that's just one example. Um, and they would try and formulate a qualitative figure, you know, something that's tangible, that they can demonstrate. Um, but when we say analysis of threats, as a cornerstone in developing a security program, really, when we analyze risk, yes, there's a part of analyzing the threat, uh, 
Um, there, but there also has to be an understanding of the vulnerabilities that exist that could be exploited by those threats. So incorporating that and tailoring that to the organization is also a thorough understanding of the vulnerability and how that applies to the organization and which threats could potentially exploit those vulnerabilities. Uh, in many cases, organizations will have mitigating circumstances against, uh, uh, against the existing vulnerabilities that they have. So what I'm saying is, is when we talk about risk, we talk about organic. When we talk about threats, we talk about the unknown because it's ever evolving, you know, zero day exploits, et cetera. So in terms of getting this right, it's truly, again, about understanding where your vulnerabilities are, continuing to evolve your risk management framework and continuing to analyze risk on an ongoing basis. The, uh, I think the formula for that is check, plan, do, check, act. Understood. And you actually touched on this as well earlier about, uh, you know, some level of board of, you know, level of involvement from the board of directors or executives. So, you know, in your experience, what exactly should be their level of involvement in the, uh, the risk management process for a cyber program? Appropriate. Um, I know that, you know, um, I've, I've, I've dealt with many organizations where um, there is very little to almost no involvement uh, when it comes to understanding uh, risks faced by the organization, especially from a technology perspective, because in many cases it's seen as an IT problem. Yeah. And in many cases, you know, IT uh, will translate issues, as we've discussed earlier, um, they will translate that as risks and not very effectively. Um, so when it comes to this kind of involvement, there seems to be a disconnect in many ways from what is really driving the board of directors and executives of an organization. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to discount what their motives are and say it's purely bottom dollar because it's not, it's the best, it's the best interest of the organization. It's, it's, you know, and they're under a lot of pressure to meet their, uh, their operating targets, to meet their budget, to, uh, re, you know, requirements, um, you know, and to also be able to be in a position to explain, you know, where that money went. So if technology had its way, it'll just have every single tool under the sun but it's got to be appropriate and having that appropriate level of engagement from the board of directors and executives to, to, to what is pertinent for the organization, you know, or appropriate for the organization, I'd say is extremely important. Having no board level executive engagement, um, that's certainly where the wheels usually come off. And that's usually where you'd find um, CISOs, uh, information security, uh, heads of directors really struggling to get continued buy-in and funding to continue, um, you know, a good security program. Yeah. And, and, and what are some of the shortfalls that you've seen when companies try to adopt too many risk management frameworks? Well, there's many about uh, um, the, the, the shortfalls when, when trying to adopt uh, or borrow from too many risk management frameworks is that you muddy the waters in the sense that now it's become a truly technical exercise to try and separate what's what and what you want to do. Um, ultimately, any risk framework that's going to work for your organization, it's one that truly benefits your organization. And in order to establish that, you can actually borrow from a myriad of, of, of risk frameworks. We have the NIST risk framework. We have the ISO 27001 risk framework. We have um, COBIT, you know, just, just to name a few. Um, so you, you can actually borrow from those. But ultimately, what it boils down to is when you take on all of them and you try and apply all of them or you try and trump one out against the other, um, you're really just setting yourself up for a fail and you lose that, is that loss of management control. Because ultimately, 
you know, how do you even start to begin to, to report on risk, to manage risk, when all you're doing is managing risk frameworks? Clive, privacy has become a major topic of discussion over the past few years. So what is GDPR and how do Cypher customers gain a holistic view of their state of compliance towards the Data Protection Act of 1988, the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, and the other various privacy regulations that are coming out across the world? Um, so first I want to address the word compliance. Um, so GDPR and, and Data Protection Act, um, it, it's law. So, so when we talk about privacy law, these are laws put in place to uh, protect the rights of the individual in terms of their personal data. It's not a compliance framework. Um, so, so gaining a view in terms of compliance is actually a term quite often used and banded about by many organizations because I frequently get asked the question, well, how do we comply with the GDPR? And, and really it is you either abide by the law or you break the law. What you need to do is understand what you do with the information. Yeah, determine what your responsibility is towards the individual in terms of the use, the distribution, you know, the, the retention of that data. Asking your organization the hard questions, do we need to keep this data or not? You know, the law is quite broad brush when it comes to data privacy. So when you look at the GDPR, real in depth, really look at the GDPR, it's all about enhancing the individual's rights. So where we have the Data Protection Act that sets about the principles. For, for data protection, we now have the GDPR that enhances the rights of the individual by introducing uh, the right to object, uh, the, the right to, to access, um, the right to deletion, um, you know, it sets, a, sets new standards for profiling, um, you know, it, it, it clarifies and, and, uh, and dispels quite a lot of the ambiguity that used to be in the data protection, well, you know, that people used to construe from the Data Protection Act. But at no point does any of this supersede or trump each other out. You still have your localized, you know, laws and regulations that you need to buy, abide by. Gaining a holistic view of what to do for GDPR is by understanding what you do with data, understanding how you store the data, how you acquired that data, you know, let's begin there. How do I acquire data? What do I do with that data? Do I send it to anyone else? How do I retain that data? Do I need the data that I've been retaining? Those are very simple questions. So when you break the law down, it's actually not that hard to meet the individual's rights. Because if we know that we're storing the data, the next exercise is to know where we're storing that data. And once you know where it is, I can abide by data deletion, data access, data portability, because I know where my data is. Um, where we talk about um, the reasons for sharing that data. You know, has that been effectively communicated to the end user? You know, does that individual know where their data is going? So gaining that holistic view is just knowing what you do with data. You know, it'll all be the same. It, it, it doesn't really matter. If you look at this from a global perspective, um, you know, whether you're in Latin America, where they've recently um, um, implemented their own version of it, um, and, and many other you know, countries across the globe where they've borrowed from the GDPR, and in many cases, just straight away copied and pasted it, you know, to adhere to. At the end of the day, it boils down to the same thing, is companies are now required to take more care when it comes to the individual and their rights. Individuals now have more rights over their data. You know, many, many ways I'm asked how it's enforced. Yeah, and then the simple, the simple fact is, if you're gonna be offering services and goods to EU individuals, and even in, in the UK, where, uh, you know, where back in 2013, I believe it was, the, uh, the data protection bill was signed off. You know, these are still very much the same laws. 
they, they haven't changed. Applicability is still very much the same. So if you want to do business in the UK, you're going to abide by our data privacy laws. So it's in the best interest of your business to also understand that holistic view and to abide by it, you know, rather than think that, you know, in terms of, in terms of applicability, it can't be enforced. Because one, arguably one of the biggest changes that the GDPR brings along is what we call extraterritorial applicability. Now, there's no longer the, the, the application of responsibility when it comes to the mismanagement of data and or a clear disregard of the individual and their rights. You know, so, and, and I think the GDPR is a good step in the right direction to, to, to what we call, you know, le to legislatively push the rights of the individual it's it's not a silver bullet it's not the be all and end all and i'm i'm pretty sure we're going to see many revisions iterations and ultimately even you know a a supersession of the gdpr but the bottom line is that it will always involve in line with the individual's rights and for an organization to understand what that means is to know what you're doing with their data and you know that's what we specialize in whether it be uh you know, d data uh, discovery, whether it be understanding your business process and helping you to translate that to what you do with data, whether it be to help you understand what your retention requirements are. At the end of the day, you know, the GDPR is not a compliance framework. It will not tell you how to secure data. It will only say uh, appropriate security controls, pseudonymization where possible, we recommend that, and, and please go ahead and adopt a security framework. Yeah, with ISO 27001 as a recommendation uh, in, in many ways. Uh, I know specifically to the UK that was the case. But what it, really what it boils down to is data. Data, ownership of that data, responsibility for that data. Once you have that, you have the listing view. Clive, thank you so much for your time today. I hope this podcast was useful for our listeners. And for any of our listeners who are interested in our services to include GRC consultation, please reach out to us via our marketing department, which can be reached at marketing at cipher.com. Also, if you like today's podcast, please subscribe so that you can automatically be notified when we publish our next episode.